Hi, this is King Tough, and you're listening to the LSQ Podcast. Hey, welcome to episode 54 of the LSQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny LSQ. It's the last episode of season three, and I'm so happy to close out this very strange year with a very sweet conversation with one of my favorite artists and one of my favorite dudes in general. His real name is Kyle Thomas, but you know him as King Tough. And because we recorded this early this year, pre-COVID, we actually were able to do this interview in person, which now is called old school style. Uh, And it was great after years of being friends with Kyle to finally get to dig in and talk about major moments during his creative adventure and key influences like Green Day and Jimi Hendrix and Dinosaur Jr. and artist friends of his like Toon Yards and Matt and Kim. We talk about all of that and more in the conversation about to start on LSQ. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for having me in the pod. We're in the pod. We're like peas in a pod right now. Two peas, one pod. We were talking before the microphones went on about a little-known subgenre called power violence. Not the friendliest name. No, but <laughs> when naming subgenres, you really have to go for visceral, instinctive feel. And, and that was really what that genre was about. It was. So you heard of... that shit spaz that you were just playing for me? You yeah. heard that... As a teenager. As a teenager, you know, I was very into, like, obviously first, like, punk and, like, street punk. All these bands and, like, the Boston street punk scene in the 90s. And then through that, I got into more, like, hardcore, crust, all the sub-genres, power violence, grind, you know, thrash. And was this exploration assisted by... The internet, or is this too early for you to have used the internet to find stuff? No, this is, this is what, I mean, the internet existed, but I didn't really have it, or, it, there, it, definitely there was some, some internet happening, but my, my, you know, my first kind of music discoveries happened through either zines, like Maximum Rock and Roll, or uh just seeing like bands wear t-shirts and you're like what is that band on that guy's shirt that i like you know so it's kind of interesting or you just go to a record store and look at the cover and take a take a chance yeah the band isn't as al- isn't always as good as the shirt you quickly find out For but sure. you know what good shirts are worth something in and of themselves and it was just a, it was an adventure you know I think I don't know. I I found so much weird stuff that way. Just picking up a record and being like, "What on earth?" And I'm imagining that to some extent, having an older brother 
was a kind of gateway into some cool music because we were very like uh side by side through the whole thing i think we kind of just got into the same stuff at the same time because it, it was me and him and then we were also friends with two other sets of brothers one of them being matt and fletcher oh damn um, of matt and kim fame and so all of us were kind of you know we're from a very small area in vermont and there wasn't really punks around or anything like that or weirdos or of any i mean there was definitely weirdos but not like <laughs> not kind of rocker people uh but and you know there's like maybe a record store but you kind of just like you find your people and they share what they've fat discovered and you share what you've got, and uh, yeah, it was kind of very, kind of like a group. Everyone's working to find find the new shit. Did you? I mean, did finding the stuff kind of make you begin to identify as like a? Uh, I mean, I mean, weirdo is a positive thing, obviously, in this con. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, did you feel like before you found that music? Did you feel like, oh? The stuff I'm hearing on the radio isn't for me. I need to find something else. Or was it sort of finding the, the subculture that kind of showed you what really worked for you, what kind of culture stuff appealed to you? I mean, it all just happened very naturally because, you know, I was a kid. And obviously I got into, like, you know, grunge was when I was, you know... Uh, God, 10, ten yeah. years old. So <laughs> right. it was like the perfect time to, to you know, when I was really starting to listen to music, that stuff was coming out. So obviously Nirvana and, you know, I did love Pearl Jam. I'm not going to lie. And then Green Day happened and that was kind of like something a little different. And I really took to that. And through that, I kind of discovered that whole world and were there like you know diy shows and stuff like that around home in brattleboro at all or what was the what, yes. when did you get to start going to gigs um definitely when i was yeah around that time there was some shows in the area there was like this place there was a, the teen center which is where i played my first show and they would have like little diy shows there was legendary hippie restaurant called the common ground they would be having all kinds of shows mostly like jam bands and stuff but then we would you know we'd go down to northampton and go to pearl street um and that's where i went to like my first real show which was corrosion of conformity my dad my dad took me and my brother to that show and all i remember is there was a dude in the pit swinging a chain (laughs) And uh, I was like, is this how every show is going to be? Wow. And had you started playing music at that point yet? Um, how, how close after sort of getting into going to shows and finding bands like that did you get into it yourself? Well, my dad got a guitar when I was maybe in third or fourth grade. He got a Stratocaster and I pretty much instantly just picked it up and started messing around on it and, you know, just playing one string at a time. And, you know, I didn't know any chords, but I pretty much instantly started writing songs on it. 
And I never really bothered. I, ne I never took lessons. I never tried to learn other people's songs. I just always started making up my own songs. And so, yeah, I, uh, I was already playing. It, was, it pretty much was like all the same time. I played like my first show in quotations at like a school dance where I played the first song I ever wrote. So you were how old? Ish? I think this was, it was either, either fifth or sixth grade, maybe sixth grade. What? So you're baby Kyle. Truly. Baby Kyle. Um, this is my song. <laughs> my song was called Pickle Boy. Because I do love pickles, Jenny. Always have, always will, <laughs> I guess. You know, a, a Jewish boy, I gotta, I yeah, gotta, eat, I gotta have my pickles. Your dills. Would like, does that song sound like a King Tough song, kind of in a way? I think you could, you could trace, you could, you could connect the dots. Yeah, it's just like a. I, it's very rudimentary, and kind of silly, but. Some of my newer material is too. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously at that point, playing music is just like purely fun is something that as a kid, you're like, this is fun. I'm going to keep doing it. When did it start to seem like more of an intense interest or something meaningful? I think pretty instantaneously. You know, I I was in elementary school. I was, you know, I played baseball. I was really into baseball. So that was like, that's kind of what my focus was. I was, you know, in, in the little, little league. I loved, you know, watching baseball. I was, you know, a fanatic. And then, you know, music too at the same time, like Jimi Hendrix. I, he was really the first person I got into with guitar and like I bought a Jimi Hendrix tape and I just remember we were on a long family trip and I had the headphones on and it's the first time I remember hearing stereo, like really understanding what stereo is because of all the panning and right, stuff. Right. And so yeah, that was kind of happening simultaneously. And then once I got into seventh grade, it just was like the sports thing got more serious for the people that, for like the jocks. And for me, I just went the other way. I was like, I, I can't, it like, I went to like one day of football practice and it was like the military. And I was like, I'm, I'm over this. And were you like really writing a lot of music at that point or? Um, yep. I, I met, uh, Seventh grade started, and I met my friend Tyler, who became my best friend, and we started making up songs with, like, a little tape recorder, which I just discovered some of these tapes the other day, and they're insane. <laughs> I'll bet. Um, and, yeah, we kind of started a band, and my brother was the singer, and then we, like, started actually, you know, playing shows, which is when... We also met Matt and Fletcher, and we we played shows with their band. What was Matt and Fletcher's band? That was called Aristocracy. Oh, and, nice. And our band was called The Ludacris. But this was before, you know, we knew about Ludacris the rapper. Yeah. It was maybe, I'm sure he was going at the same time, but he didn't, he hadn't broken through yet. <laughs> he couldn't have been expected <laughs> to know about 
future EGOT, Ludacris, undoubtedly. If yeah. anyone can do it, make it to EGOT, Ludacan. Have you seen his story arc on Law & Order SVU? I have not, but Kiss I, I love him. He's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So okay, so then at starting in seventh grade, you're you're playing in bands. That you kind of drop the jock thing to focus more on music. And at that point, were you also doing like painting and visual art yet? Yeah, me me and my brother were always into the visual art thing since we were little kids. We used to watch this uh, show called Commander Mark, or uh, I forget what it was called. The actual show. The guy was this guy, Commander Mark, and he kind of looked like a chipmunk, and he had, like, this jumpsuit on with, like, pencils in the sleeves and stuff, and uh, he would teach you how to draw, like, perspective and by by drawing, like, all these kind of uh, fantastical buildings and creatures. So we got into that when we were kids, little kids, and so we were always into drawing and stuff and i know your mom's like artistic both of my parents are very artistic it's only like um in recent years that my mom has actually started really doing it more Mm. with uh you know the clay ceramics and stuff and her strange creatures (laughs) her little snails yeah they're awesome Oh, it's very inspiring. So it's... she didn't make, she wasn't making stuff like that. She she was, she seemed, you could sense her creativity, but she wasn't actually making stuff when you were a kid. No, and my dad is a really good artist as well, and he's always been into black lights and, like, painting fluorescent stuff on the wall, but he he doesn't do it as much as he should. But, you know, point being, both of my parents were always very... Uh, like supportive, encouraging yeah, supportive, yeah. of us doing any kind of artistic stuff. Yeah. But th- like did did pursuing music in this way where now it's a, your this is you know it's your life it's your full-time job. Did that seem like a thing you actually were I mean did you did you feel really serious about it? I I don't know if I ever was like I guess part of the reason I ask is because I'll articulate this for listeners like you take making music very seriously you're like an you're immersed in all aspects of it like in the course of knowing you i've sensed you being interested in more just greater and greater mastery of all aspects of it and i wonder like yeah when did you start to really have it be like this sort of focus on like okay this is my shit yeah uh i don't think i ever like had a moment where i was like this this is what a, my uh, career is going to be. Um, I just always did it, and it was all I ever thought about. And, I mean, I def- it definitely got more and more serious, you know, especially once I got out of high school and could, could uh, dedicate more time to it. But I definitely remember, like, quitting my first job as a dishwasher when I was 15 so I could play a show. And, um, you know, pretty much the second... I graduated high school, me and Matt and Fletcher went on a tour. We just got in the uh in their car. We didn't have any shows booked, but we just went and drove to cities and got shows for like two months. So it was already happening. Yeah. You know, I don't think there was any like conscious decision that it was like, all right, now I'm doing this. It was just like It was all you ever did. It was yeah, it was just what we did. Right. 
And as far as like playing the guitar and just like getting shreddier as a guitar player, when did that become a serious focus? I don't know. Or sort of what inspired that? Were there particular heroes of yours that... I mean, definitely Hendrix was always an inspiration. I kind of like went through a lot of different phases of uh, listening to different stuff, you know, obviously all the punk stuff, but then I got into more of like the... More of like the seventies stuff, like you know, television and um, and then like Bowie, obviously, and and stuff like that. And then, but then I was also into like Johnny Marr's guitar playing, and then all the classic rock stuff, obviously Zeppelin and Sabbath and that stuff. But it was just always changing. I was just always listening to different people, and I guess. I guess I didn't really start playing lead guitar like a lot until I think once we started Witch and I was kind of, you know, had to come up with some more shreddy type stuff. I started figuring it out more. I mean, it does, it, it bears mentioning that like a band where <laughs> that includes Jay Maskus, who obviously shreds. That Jay Mask is like, you know what, Kyle, you do the shredding, I'm going to play the drums. That's a pretty cool... And when that reality arrived, you must have had a moment of like, damn. It was pretty insane. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> it was pretty insane, definitely, at least like the first time we played together, because I think I was 22 or something. I was very young. And... You know, uh, Dave, the bass player in the band, kind of, he had been hanging with Jay, and Jay, they they wanted to start a band, and Jay wanted to play drums, and he knew that I was, you know, I was just a kid in town that worked at the record store that wrote songs, so he asked me, I was like, okay, and then we literally had our first practice in my parents' bomb shelter. We have, like, this room in our basement called, uh, we would call it the bomb shelter. It would It wouldn't protect you. <laughs> from anything but um it's a strange room in my basement and jay came over brought his giant drum set there's the door is like a little like blown out hole in the wall you have to crouch to get through and it was just a very surreal experience because obviously I, i i grew up listening to dinosaur jr and that stuff and it was just like whoa this is strange and now i have to play guitar and Jay is my drummer. That it was pretty intimidating, but at the same time, I was just like it felt right too. And wait, so was that before or after you started doing stuff as King Tough? Um, it was after. I mean, King Tough. I made the first King Tough album like pretty much right when I got out of high school. Mm. Um, there's a few albums before was dead which is you know considered to be my first album mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of stuff before that that's not released that is varying varying degrees of goodness right <laughs> but uh yeah that that was like really my first project right when i got out of high school i came up with the name and then you know i i started another band called feathers that was like a psychedelic folk band and then the witch thing happened kind of at the same time. And then King Tuff didn't really do anything for about five or six years. 
I mean, you mean didn't do anything like you did? You just put out a record and you didn't really do much, and no one really noticed. I mean, I had like made a first couple records, and I I gave CDRs to all my friends. You know, this is like two thousand one, two thousand two, right? And uh, then I started those other bands and was focusing on that stuff, and kind of just like was like, oh, the King Tough thing, oh, just whatever. Right. Hence, when I finally came back and made my first rec- record that actually came out, is called Was Dead, because it was a project that felt like it was dead, so I was bringing it back. But what inspired you to do that? What brought it, what reinvigorated it for um, you? Actually, uh, my friend Ron, he had one of my older CDs, CDRs, and one day he just was like, you know, Kyle, that CDR you gave me like a few years ago was really good. I was listening to it, and I was like, hmm, yeah, some of those songs are good. I was like, maybe I'll re-record some of it. And, yeah, so I just kind of, like, re-recorded a bunch of it and wrote some new songs. And this was, like, 2005, and got a little band together, and I did a tour with Matt and Kim when they were, you know, still playing, like, house shows. So that was when, that was kind of when King Tough sort of really started. Right. But what would you say... Is what would you say was the first thing that kind of got garnered attention that where you really noticed like okay this is people seem to like this like when did it start to feel good? <laughs> Years after that. Years after that. <laughs> because the okay so I made this I made was dead and we did the tour, but at the time, like garage rock wasn't really a thing yet yeah obviously like the strokes and the white stripes had happened right and the Um, black lips were popping off well that uh, that i remember that tour that i did was the first time i heard black lips um i heard dirty hands and i was like oh this is kind of like what i'm doing like there was not a lot of stuff like that happening yeah um so like on their tour you know they're doing like a you know, super high-energy synth and drums. And, like, the kids were super into it. But when we played, it was just like, nobody give a fuck. So after, at the end of that tour, it was just the wrong crowd, you know? And uh, after that tour, I was like, you know, I don't know if people want to hear this stuff. So I, again, was kind of like, fuck it, you know? And started doing other shit. And then somebody... You know, a couple people had gotten the record, and uh, somebody wanted to put it out on vinyl, like, a year or so after that. And I was like, do whatever you want. <laughs> and then, I don't care, you know. <laughs> and then it came out, and I, I'd never toured or anything. And the record just kind of made its way out into the world, and different people got it. And some people at Sub Pop had gotten it. This was, like, 2009 now at this point. And they, like, came and saw me play at South by Southwest. I did, like, a one-off show. And they talked to me. I was like, oh, maybe maybe I should maybe I should do this. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, the way that, that something like that can work. Because Sub Pop, obviously, is, like, one of the best indie labels you could be on. Um, and some of the stuff they sign is stuff that everyone's trying to sign at that particular moment. And some of it is just like smart choices that they make. Uh, and it's like, 
I don't know, it's cool to hear that they sort of pulled you out of apathy about it or something in a way. I, it's very true. Like they hurt, that's like, that's like just good ears where they're just like, no, this deserves more attention and we're going to, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. So did you feel like a rush of kind of, okay, shit, this is like, there's some enthusiasm. I get to like delve in now and yeah figure out what it's going to look like and what the artwork is, all that shit that you love to do yeah i mean that would have been the beginning of like oh someone's actually gonna people are gonna this record's gonna be in stores yeah i mean the funny thing was at that point like i was just doing a one-off king tough show i never did did that and then and they happened to approach me but at that time i was focused on my other band happy birthday Mm. um and I was like, yeah, uh, let's do a record, but you should actually do the record for, from this band that I'm doing now. Happy birthday. Still putting King Tough on the back burner. And uh, they were like, okay, you know. And they actually did that record without even hearing it. They never even heard the band. I just sent them the record. They were like, okay. <laughs> like, And it's pretty different. You know, I mean, there's some similarities but it's pretty different it's pretty it's a lot weirder um but they just saw something in you obviously and they're just like yeah this is they were just down to do whatever i wanted to do this guy yeah they were down to do whatever i wanted to do and that was so cool of them i thought yeah um but yeah it definitely was like then the happy birthday thing came out and the band kind of dissolved and then i was like okay now i need to just do this king tough thing for yeah. real yeah i mean so over the course of the album since then it's become more of a kind of you stepping into like okay this is my big project this is my big project this is where all the best ideas are going to go yeah into and was it difficult just in part because you're a kind of a shy guy i mean was it just i can imagine you having a stumbling block of the like it's me i'm the guy yeah <laughs> Yeah, I definitely had to learn, you know, uh, the kind of stage presence thing. I had to really figure that out. Did you have particular artists that you kind of looked to for, like, uh, some of their vibe? I need to get some of that vibe going. I mean, really, I think my biggest inspirations have always been my friends. And um, I've been lucky enough to be very good friends with a lot of really successful and good people. Um, obviously, Matt and Kim put on an amazing live show, but uh, people like Tune Yard- Merrill from Tune Yards, just every time I would see her, I'd just be like, oh, my God. I, can't. You know, I will never be that good, but I will strive to be something yeah. like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think just... And then, you know, just playing a million shows and seeing other bands and, you know, picking up things along the way. But you love perform you love playing shows, I'm guessing. I do. Yeah. yeah. And I've I've really kind of loved learning how to, you know, do that well and uh feel comfortable. Cuz when I see a show, I want I want to be entertained and I want I want to feel a connection with the people. Yeah. Um, so I just want to be able to do that when I go up there. Has your approach or 
sort of practice of songwriting changed in any major ways since you wrote about pickles? <laughs> or what what have has there been any kind of major breakthrough sounds like, you know, over egging it. But yeah, just sort of realizations that really helped you pivot your songwriting in a in a good direction over the years. Um, I feel like I feel like every album I I'm when I start writing for it, I feel like I'm at square one again and I'm like, I have to relearn how to do this all again. I'm like kind of forget everything every time. But then every album is very different when I get into actually making it. And like the last album, the other, uh, kind of explored a lot of different things I hadn't before, like actually thinking about like a bass and drum groove, which is hilarious, which a lot of people find hilarious, but I just never really thought about it before. I was always just writing on an electric guitar and like strumming away. Right. Not yeah, like... You're on the treble. <laughs> yeah. Not really thinking about the actual groove. And that just was like instantly. I was like, "Oh, that's where it's actually at." Um, so that was that was kind of a breakthrough, I guess. Yeah. The last. Record. And what do you know? We talked when I got here. We were talking about what what does one even do with their day, especially in interludes when you're not on a specific deadline. What what when you're when you're really buckling down? What does your what does your setup look like? Do you make a cup of coffee, go in that room over there? What do you do? I, I make a cup of coffee, and I drink it, and then I think about... I, I, I turn on the, the machines, and then I think... I say, okay, that's enough. I need to take a break and go make another cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually, I'll... Uh, it's kind of different every day. Sometimes I sit at the piano... Which, actually, that's kind of a new breakthrough for me. I just got a piano, so I've been kind of learning that, and that is a whole a whole new world. As Meaning uh, learning to play piano? Yeah. Yeah. Just applying, just because you can play multiple instruments, just teaching yourself. Because you taught yourself to play saxophone for the last album, didn't you? Am I remembering correctly? Uh, I didn't play it on that album. Michael Cronin played it, but after he played it, it was the first time I'd used horns on a song. Well, that's not entirely true, but like yeah. pretty much true. And after he did it, I loved it so much. I was just like, I want to be able to do that. So I bought a saxophone and just started figuring it out. You know, I'm horrible still, but <laughs> but you can could, get by on it. I could probably record something on it. Right. Um, I just like to have a lot of instruments around, even if I can't, you know, technically play them. You just find things. On different instruments. Well, not e- knowing how to play can be a benefit, right? I think that's kind of the the biggest thing for me is when you don't know, that's when the, the interesting things come out. Because when I pick up a guitar now, it's not very interesting to me uh, unless somebody teaches me something new or something. I just, my hands go in the same places. So I kind of like have to force myself to find new things. And when I was over here recently for your birthday, we were messing around with some Beatles songs on the new piano. And, Indeed. And uh, I would imagine stuff like that. Yeah, like learning Beatles songs as you're learning to play the piano has got to be just kind of a education. I mean, the, the Beatles, you can, uh, you know, there's this amazing uh, Beatles complete chord songbook. 
that you can just pick out any song and you know have a guitar or a piano and just the chords and the way they're uh, arranged they're when you think of them you probably think of their songs as kind of simple but they're actually pretty complex and you can just pick things out you just learn a new chord every time you learn one of their songs and then once you hear a new chord you can kind of just build a new song from one new chord you can <laughs> well i can try you can um, so do you think, I mean, so do you think you'll be doing some writing on the piano? Oh, in, indeed. In, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's kind of the ultimate instrument, I think, because you can do all these things on the piano that you can't do on pretty much any other instrument, like play a lot of kind of clusters of notes that are very close together to get these really beautiful chords that you can't do on a guitar. Um, and it's also a very like percussive instrument, so you can really just it's kind of the ultimate solo instrument uh right because it's got all those elements, and I don't know it's just it's definitely opening my mind up to a lot of things so for the rest of this year, you're gonna be in creative mode, probably. Indeed. Yeah. Are there yeah. other non-King Tough album th creations that you're excited to dig into? Um, I'm going to record uh, my friend Ruth Garbus's next album, cool. Meryl's Sister. Um, and she is one of my favorite musicians. So we're going to do her record out here. And I want to do a record as... Um, the Orange Man, which is, uh, did you see that show that I did? I saw the photos thereof. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Orange Man was sort of my character in Ty Siegel's uh, band, The Muggers. And he's, he's kind of a mischievous, strange person. But he's going to do a, a record of probably uh, covers, a covers album. Oh, tight. Yeah. What kind of repertoire does the Orange Man like? Oh, he likes love songs. Yeah. Pretty much. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much, Kyle. Oh, thank you. This little jammer with me. Tis a joy. I'm not sure if Kyle ended up being able to get together with Ruth Garbus to record some of her new stuff this year because, you know, the conversation was recorded before COVID. But I do know that Kyle and the artist Sasami have been working together with Hand Habits on their next album because they're housemates and so they're in the same pod. I'll keep you posted on that. And I think we might get new King Tough music in 2021 as well. Uh, that brings us to the end of episode 54. Massive thanks again to Kyle slash King Tough. And thanks to you for listening. Also, LSQ is now hosted by Anchor, and that means you can leave me a voice message on my Anchor page, anchor.fm slash Jenny LSQ. And if you feel like it and you have a little extra money to spare, you can even support the LSQ podcast at various monthly amounts. So check that out at anchor.fm slash Jenny LSQ. And reach me with feedback and questions on Twitter at Jenny LSQ. Thanks again. Next season starts in January with an episode with Victoria Legrand from Beach House. Looking forward to putting that online in another few weeks. 
Have a great end of the year, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, this is King Tough, and you're listening to the LS2 Podcast.